Good morning, Shavua Tov. Today's daf is daf Kuf Dalet. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas Avram Ben Peretz. May his neshama have an aliyah. May his memory be a blessing. It's also for a full shleima of Chai Kabach Bav Michlein Yitzchak Yehuda Ben Miriam. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. Okay, so I think let's go from the Mishnah towards the top. It's about the seventh line of Kuf Dalet Amud Aleph 104a. We're carrying on discussing the actual proceed, the actual um, way that chalitza is done. Up to here, the first part of the parak, we barely discussed the shoe, and now, uh, yeah, obviously, and that it needs uh, three dayanim, etc. And now we're going on to um, the time. So it says chalitza If you do chalitza at night, it is a kosher chalitza. Rebbe Loza says it's invalid. Rebbe Loza holds that chalitza has to be done during the day. And now the halacha, bismol chalitzosa psula, the rebileze mashu. If she takes the shoe off the yavam's left foot, remember chalitza is, and specifically the part referred to by chalitza, she's taking off the shoe. That is, um, if she takes the shoe off the left foot um, of the yavam, it is invalid, and Rabbi Elazar says it is kosher. Okay, the Gemara says, Lema, what, what they're arguing, why, why should Chalitza be limited to the day, or why would it be kosher at night? So he says, Lema, let's say they're arguing in the following. The one opinion holds we connect Rivim to Nagoim, and the other opinion holds we do not connect them. What's Rivim? So Riv is when two men have an argument. It's a civil court case, um, monetary court case, monetary court case. That's Rivim, an argument. And Nagoim is um, Saras. So in the same pasuk it discusses, um, it says, call Riv call Nega, that the Kohanim can judge all these cases. They can judge monetary court cases, and they can judge and determine whether something is called Nagoim. And they're in the, it's, it's mentioned in the same pasuk. So maybe just as Tzara'as is only allowed to be viewed during the day, if the coin looks at it at night and he says, this is Tzara'as, that doesn't count. He has to look at it during the day and say, oh, this is Tzara'as. Um, so too, so since they connected in the same pasuk, maybe we'd say the same thing by Rivim. They also have to be done to, during the day. Also, so then the question would be, is, do we make this connection or not? So we say, law. Everyone holds that they are not connected. We don't learn one from the other. Because if we did learn the one from the other, well then even if a monetary case is concluded at night, it would be invalid. And we know that monetary cases, as long as you start the monetary case during the day, I don't know exactly how much of it has to be carried out during the day, but as long as the case is started during the day, it is still a valid Judgment if it's concluded at night. Now, if we know part of the Tsaras judgment, let's call it a judgment, um, can be done at night. So it can't be that they connected, because then they wouldn't have that discrepancy. So, so then, if that's the case, so then what are they? Sorry, and they argue in the following here. Oh, sorry, just one more point. And you'll have to have another source. This that we say that court cases, monetary cases have to be started during the day. 
but you can conclude them at night. You're going to have to have another source that limits it to the day, which is uh, discussed in Sanhedrin. Um, so it's what they're arguing here again, whether chalitza can be performed during the day or night. Oh, and then almost the fundamental point is we're saying that chalitza falls under rivim, under a monetary court case. Why should chalitza fall under rivim, a monetary court case? Luxuba. Luxuba, this determines the she, if they do chalitza, then she gets luxuba. If not, it gets, well, the, all the property goes to the yavam, etc. So there is that. So it's at least um, intrinsically connected to a monetary aspect, and therefore it's considered it would have to have the same requirements as a monetary court case. Um, but, so what they're arguing here, din. The one opinion holds that the chalitza is like the start of din. It's not considered the Gemar din, it's considered the beginning of the court case, and therefore it would have to be done during the day. Why is it only the beginning of the din? Because first they go through the Chalitza, and only then can she get sued for Huxuba, claim for Huxuba, and try to collect it from the estate. So the, so the chalitza is just the start of the court case, and therefore it has to be done in the day. And our opinion holds no. That's the, it's the conclusion of the judgment. Because as soon as she does chalitza, then she is entitled to collect her ksuba. And that's why it's considered martin, and it can be done at night. Interesting enough, if you think about it like that, um, you know, most court cases, they don't end with the issue being resolved. They end with, now we know how to resolve it. Ah, this is the verdict. Okay, and then you have to go get the sheriff to go collect the money, or you have to wait for the person to make an EFT, or whatever it is. So, so that's what we're saying here. When we view this chalitza, do we view it as, you know, the start? It's now getting the process going that she'll collect her ksuba, and therefore it has to be done during the day, or is it actually the the gemar din? Because as soon as it's finished, she's entitled to collect it. Um, yeah, interestingly, um, this is, I mean, this is the halacha that a, a monetary court case has to be started during the day and concluded at night. There's a fascinating discussion and it almost seems to be a contradiction in the, in the Ramah himself, that's the, of Shulchan Aruch, of whether, what happens if a court case was judged at night? Is it valid? But that's, that's a separate discussion. And then a, a further interesting question on this is uh, oh, a monetary case, strictly speaking, also you also require three judges for a monetary case. But if the owners agree, I mean this is not so straightforward, but if the owners agree, they can be judged by two relatives. Sorry, if the, the litigants agree, they can be judged by two relatives, or they can be judged by a single judge. So maybe, so, but we don't say that by chalitza. So even though chalitza does have those aspects, it's not completely, it's, it, in some ways it has its own requirements of a court case. Okay. Sorry, yeah. Why would a judge not be a I don't remember it as being a logical thing more as that's the learnt out from the possum. Okay. The Torah tells us you can't have a judge. It's connected to when the judges see us. I don't remember it's in Sanhedrin. I have, uh, have to wait about four and years to get there. The <laughs> Sorry. And it starts with the or does it have to 
No, so that's what we say. Yeah. As I said, I'm not sure how much has to be done. Like, is it only the verdict that can be handed out at, down at night, or can, as long as you've heard the the one claim, then you can hear the other claim at night. I'm not sure how much has to be done in the day and the night, but that, but you can conclude it at night. Kuftalad um, Amudalif, just under halfway down. It says Rav Rabba Barchiyak Katus Faah Ovad Uvda B'Mukhi Ov Yechidi Ov Laila. Rabbi Barchia from Katus when he was doing a chalitza, he used he, he let them use a felt shoe and judged by a single judge and at night. So Omar Shmuel, Shmuel says, Wow, what a great sage. He's going like all these uh, far-fetched um, individual opinions. He's being a little bit facetious. He's saying, like, who does he think he is to Paskin like an individual? So the Gemara says, my Kasha, which, what does he have, what does Shmuel have an issue with? Again, there were three surprising, I guess, three uh, borderline or, or three, three surprising things. First, he used felt, not leather. Interestingly enough, felt is from animals. It's from wool and stuff. So it is from animals. Remember, how do you compare it to the Tachash, that it has to be anything from an animal, or must it be leather? That was Friday's stuff, <coughs> but felt was a bit surprising. Um, a single judge, that's surprising. And at night, we just saw in our Mishnah, it seems that you should, it's a machlokes, Tanakama and Rabbi Eliezer. So which one was, and Shmuel's very surprised, like who does he think he is doing this? So my kasha, which one did he have? E mukil, maybe it's the felt to stamatanya. We have an anonymous price that teaches that you can. Elila Stamatanya. If you want to say that it's surprising that he did it at night, well, our Mishnah's anonymous opinion is that you can do Khalid at night. So neither of those are surprising. But if it's this, that he allowed it to be officiated by a single diet, that is a single official, that's what is surprising. How could he do it by an individual? Because that's what's taught to the Tnan. How, how, how could he allow the Khalitza to be done by an individual? The Tnan, as we learned in the Mishnah, if you did Khalitza by two or three Aiden, this is actually the next Mishnah. Um, so, sorry, Khalitza was done before two judges, or before three judges and one of them was a relative. Apostle or an invalid judge, the chalitza is invalid. We see if you do the chalitza with two instead of three judges, again, three judges and one of them apostle, we basically treat the same as two judges. Um, so it's an invalid chalitza. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yochanan Asandla Machshirin. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yochanan Asandla said, Kosher. There was actually a case where two people, the Yovam and Yovama were alone in prison and they did Chalitza and they came and asked Rabbi Akiva, was that valid? But Hirshir, he said, it's a valid Chalitza. So what do we, we actually have three opinions on how many judges. The first opinion, it has to be three. Any less than three, it's invalid. Then we had Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yochanan Asanlu who say, as long as you have two judges, it's valid. And we have Rabbi Akiva who seems to say even one, it will be valid. It will be discussed more later, not in today's stuff, but later on. The halacha is not like that pair. We don't pass in that you can have just two judges. 
Now, the Eboy's Eima, alternatively say, Kulen so, so that's the first, that's what's surprising. How could he allow this, this Chalitza to be officiated by a single official? It should have required three people. That's what we found, surpri- that's what Shmuel found surprising. Oh, the Eboy's Eima, Kulen Tani Lehu. He says, actually, you could also say what he found surprising is that they're all actually individual opinions. All three, that he used a felchu, that he did it at night, and that he used chalitza. He says, I saw Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha that he did chalitza. He allowed chalitza to be performed with felchus by an individual official and by a single official. And at night. So we see that this, that they're allowed to be, that you do them like that, is Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha. Oh, what about, didn't we just have a Mishnah and a Brisa? We saw, you can't say that using a felt shoe or doing it at night is a problem because that seems to be in line with the, and with the standard opinion in the Mishnah and the standard opinion in the Brisa. So that would all, you'd have to say, those were bidi evid. I, if you did chalitz according to Al Mishnah, if you did chalitz at night, it's okay, but not that you should go ahead and do it. Whereas, Rabbi Rabbi Bar Chia Katusva, he went ahead and did it lechatchila with these cases, which there's only one opinion who says you can do it lechatchila, and that is Rabbi Elisha, Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha. Okay, then we mentioned the small chalitzoso, etc. What happens if he does chalitza by taking it off her <coughs> left foot? Uh, sorry, she takes the shoe off his left foot. The Yobam's left foot. So he mentioned the Tarakama says it's possible, and Rabbi Lezer says it's Mashir. He says, My time is Rabbonan. Why is it possible? So Omar Ula, Yalfin, and Regal, Regal, Mimitsoira. Shava, by Regal, Regal from Mitsoira. It says the word Regal in um, in Al Parsha Bachalitza. It says, Vacholzana Alome Al Raglo, Raglo, Regal. She will take the shoe off his foot. <coughs> And Batsoras, in the purification process, it's, it's speaking about the, they applied blood to his um, right ear, right thumb, and right big toe, right foot. So it's got to be on the right foot. But that, the Pasuk is, yeah, um, oh, well, yeah, the oil, it was oil and dam, uh, separately with oil and dam. But he says, on the earlobe, hamitaher, on his right big th- on his right thumb, and the big toe of his right foot, on the place where they had already placed the blood. So therefore, we see that regal. So just as just as over there is the right foot. So to hear bachalitz, that must be the right foot of Rebelozor. Lo yodif, regal, regal, mimitzayra. Rabbi Lezer doesn't learn this gzayra shava. He doesn't hold for that gzayra shava, that you learn foot, foot from mitzayra. So here it just says, take it off his foot. It doesn't matter which foot you take the shoe off. Just take his shoe off. Um, it's not connected. So the Gemara says, but wait. you telling me that Rabbi Lezer doesn't make this gzayra shava? I'll show you where Rabbi Lezer makes a very, very similar gzayra shava, that it's unlikely that he does not make this gzayra shava. It says, v'ahot, Tanya, but we learned it right. So Rabbi Lezer, I mean Rabbi Lezer says, how do we know that Ritzia has to be done with the right ear? Ritzia is when the Evid Ivri, remember he's only a slave for a maximum of six years, remember correctly, and then if he wants to stay on, he gets his, he has to go against the doorpost and gets his ear 
um, pierced. So that's the ritzia, the piercing of the ear. It has to, how do we know that it has to be done with the right ear? So neemar kan oizen, but neemar lahalon oizen. It says oizen here by ritzia, that it has to make a, pierce his ear. And it says oizen by, um, by the mitzara. It says malahalon yomi lahafkan yomi, but just as there it's right and so to here it's right. So why would Rebeleza make the oizen oizen zereshava? But not make the regal regal clara shop. Sounds a bit uh, strange. So Omar says, yeah, so you actually have to switch it around. In Al Mishnah, it's Rabbi Eliezer who says it is invalid, and the Tanakama who says it is valid. Because Rabbi Eliezer would be consistent and learn this Xaira Shava. Says Rav Omar Rav says, Lo ilam lo He says, Don't switch around. He says, in, <coughs> and this is going back to a previous point we've mentioned. By Tsaras, uh, sorry, but by Xerashov, uh, and this is that they have to be Mufni, they have to be extra. If you have two words that are connected through Xerashov, I said once to connect the two paragraphs to learn one from the other through Xerashov, those words have to be extra. If those words are not extra, okay, if there's no questions on the logical application of why you should not learn one from the other, then the Xerashov will stand. But if there is a question on why maybe you should not learn one case from the other, then the Xerashava will not stand. Again, unless it's Mufne from both sides, unless it's an extra word on both sides. So that's what Rav is going to prove now, that the Oizen Oizen is extra on both sides, and therefore he would make the Rebbe Lezer would make the Xerashava. Whereas, um, Rev, um, whereas Regal Regal is not extra. So let's see, it says Loi Table. Oizen, Oizen, Mufni, Regal, Regal, Loi Mufni. Oizen, Oizen is extra, but Regal, Regal is not mix, not extra. But Mitzorah, actually, both words are extra. Because by the Mitzorah, it like repeats the, it repeats some of it, which it could just say that it's the same by a poor person as a wealthy person. But instead, it re-spells it out by a poor person. So all those words are extra. So that's extra for the Xerashava. And then, Barotzea, the ear piercing, it repeats Ozen twice in the paragraph. So the second one is extra to make the Xerashava. Whereas here, it tells us take the shoe off his foot. That, that we need to know that she has to take it off his foot. So that word is not extra. Okay. But even it's so, so fine. Regal, regal is not mufne. But as I pointed out, we still learn. Um, we still learn exayrashava unless you can say that have a question, a difficulty, uh, or say why it's strict or more lenient that you can't learn one from the other. It says So if it's not extra, what questions you have on it that you still won't learn it? it says says, well, by Mitzorah we find it's not sufficient to just sprinkle uh, the blood of oil. You need uh, cedar wood and a hyssop and a, and, a, and a red thread. So you need a whole extra procedure. And therefore, you could say, ah, oh, so where we see it so strict and there's so much requirements, there it has the added requirement of needing the right, it has to be done on the right foot. But by Mitzorah, by Chalitza, there's not such a, we don't find such a, so many requirements, so maybe it also doesn't need the right foot. You can't learn one from the other. And again, then, since the Xerashava is not extra, you can't 
um, since the word regal is not mufne, you can't learn the Xayra Shava. Interesting, the Rabbanon will say this, what's one got to do with the other? Um, you can't expect uh, how you're going to include uh, hyssop and red wool and, uh, um, and uh, cedar wood in the Chalitza procedure. So wh- why are you saying you can't learn one from the other because that has those requirements? They're two totally different things and you can't learn one from the other and therefore they would be happy with the Xayra Shava. Um, two interesting points on this. Um, the first one is so here we see Rabbi Eliezer's opinion that if you have one word on either, on you have a Xayra Shava, if one of the words of the Xayra Shava are not Mufne, then you learn the Xayra Shava unless it's undermined by a question. Rashi says this is the source where we see that Rabbi, we, we've, we've taken for granted that a few times, we already earlier on in the Masefta we took it for granted, and a few times in Shas we take for granted that's what Rabbi Eliezer holds. Rashi says, this is the source for Rebbe Eliezer. Whenever you see it referenced, Rebbe Eliezer holds that Xayra Shava, that's Mufne from one side, stands unless it's undermined with the Pircha, that's the Sugya, that's the source. One other, then, um, another fascinating point is, what about, um, so Chalitza with the left foot is possible. What about Chalitza on a left-footed person? Which, how do you do Chalitza? Do you also Four take... Four foot versus that one foot, Oh, so an amputee... I'm not sure. Interesting. I, I, I actually didn't see anything on that, but I did see and hear. Did see if it's above the knee and below the knee. Oh, yeah, we did. If it's above the knee, then it's, you can't take halitza off. If it's below the knee, then you can take the shoe off the lower part of the leg. So that would be included. Yeah, okay, very good. But what happens if it is amputated? So then I guess the other foot is their right foot. It's, if they have only one foot, maybe that's their right foot. Okay, I'm not sure. <coughs> one leg. Um, but here, so the Rashba wants to know, so how do you do halitza on a left footed person. And he actually says, he goes through the list and says, every possible, maybe you still do it on the right foot, maybe you, no, left, uh, well, left-handed, left-footed person, you're doing it on the left foot, maybe you can't do chalitza, maybe you need, or maybe you need to do chalitza on both. He says, uh, he starts off by saying, maybe it's like tefillin. We know that tefillin, it says you put on your left hand, well, we know you put tefillin on your left hand, and if you're left-handed, then you put tefillin on your right hand. Because that's his left hand. That's the hand he doesn't use. So maybe so to Bachalitza. He says, but you can't really compare it to Tfilin. Because Tfilin, it says, Yodcha, it's a special drosha, Yodcha, Yodkeha, your weaker hand. So Tfilin's telling us to switch hands. But, but here, there's Chalitza, there's no hint, there's no Torah telling us to switch feet. So maybe it should be done on the right foot. Also with the coin. A coin. Oh, so maybe you may, but maybe you actually can't do chalitza at all because you find a kohen who does a, who can't, who's left-handed can't do the avoid in the base of midrash because he has to use his right hand. But if it's not his primary hand, well, then he can't do the avoider. Says, but the Rashi says, but wait, that's not really a good comparison because there, the being left-handed is counted as kind of like a mum. So as if, uh, to the same degree, he's uh, lacking something in his hand, and that's why it's uh, the weaker hand. So it's like a mum. I mean, no, a coin has got a mum. But there's no reason, there's no uh, problem with someone with a mum and chalitza. So you can't say that. Um, so maybe then, there's a... Um, so, so yeah, so how do you do chalitza? The, so, so the Rashba, actually, who, who this discussion is based on, doesn't answer. He says he needs investigation. Therefore, Shulchan Aruch says you must do it with both feet. <coughs> the question is, do you have to do it with one? 
can you do it one foot after the other? Problem being, <coughs> I don't know if you remember the discussion of a chalitza psula. If you do an invalid chalitza, i.e. something that kind of counts as a chalitza, then it does, it's not strong enough to uproot it from the other brothers. So each of the other brothers would have to do chalitza. So therefore someone who says she has to do chalitza on both feet at the same time, and then others say, no, just do it on condition. Say, look, if the right foot is the right, is the correct foot I'm supposed to take the shoe from, then this is the chalitza. If not, then it's an irrelevant act. And if the left foot, and then when she comes to the next foot, say, if this is the correct chalitza, then it's a good, either I've done chalitza or now I'm doing a good chalitza. Okay, but that's an interesting one. Which foot do you do it on? And then a similar question, um, not... Uh, uh, semi-related is what happens does which hand does she have to remove the shoe with and is there any requirement there we haven't seen anything on that okay but let's go on to the new Mishnah yeah, this Mishnah is based on the understanding that there are three main parts to the Chalitza there's the saying of certain Psukim uh, uh, they, they have to kind of uh, have a dialogue based on the Psukim that are written by Chalitza he didn't want to establish his brother's name. I refuse to establish my brother's name. You know, have a little bit of dialogue based on the psukim. Second part is chalitza, removing the shoe and the spitting. So now we're going to ask this Mishnah, what happens if you do two out of three of those? She says, What happens if she did the chalitza, she removed the shoe and she did the spitting, but they didn't say the psukim? It's a good chalitza. What happens if they said the psukim and they, she spat, but they did not remove the shoe? That's an invalid chalitza. What happens if they did the chalitza and they read the psukim, but they did, she did not spit? Rabbi Elazar Oimer, chalitza sopsula, Rabbi Akiva Oimer, chalitza sopshaira. Rabbi Elazar says it's an invalid chalitza. And Rabbi Loza says it's invalid chalitza, and Rabbi Akiva says it is a good chalitza. So it seems it's very clear that Kriya saying the psukim is not essential. If you left that out, it's still a good chalitza. The chalitza is clearly essential. If you don't remove the shoe, nothing, that's not a valid chalitza. What happened? And the rikika, the spitting, that is a discussion whether that's essential or not. Omalei Rabbi. Eli Elazar, Rabbi Elazar said to Rabbi Akiva, he says, Kacha ya'aseh. The Pasuk says, this is how it's done. Now whenever you see Kacha in the Torah, it's telling us the next procedure has to be followed precisely. And if it's not followed precisely, then it's ma'akev, it's invalid. So he says, Kacha ya'aseh. All the actions have to be done like this. Kol dover shehu ma'akev. All the parts that are an action are essential. I... The spitting and the taking off the shoe are an action, so they're essential. But the, the saying of the psukim, the reciting of the psukim, is not an action and therefore it's not essential. Is that a good proof? It says, This is what shall be done to the ish. I call Dover ish. If it's acting on the man, that's what's essential. I, the only thing that is essential is taking off the shoe. Even though spitting is an action, it's not an action done on the man. So therefore it would not be essential. So that's the Mahloikis Rabbi watch how Rabbi that's what Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Akiva's Mahloikis is based on. Now we go on to a new point in the Mishnah.
If you had a deaf mute who had um, chalitza performed on him, I, a woman, came and removed the chalitza from a, the shoe from a deaf mute. Come back to that phrase that chalitza was done to him. I'll come back, but just keep it in mind. Or a deaf mute yavama who removes the shoe. Or if she does chalitza to a katan, in those three cases, the chalitza is invalid. If you have a minor who does, a, a, the yavama is a minor, and she does chalitza, she has to do chalitza again when she grows up. And if she does not do chalitza again, it's an invalid chalitza. So just on this last point, so we've seen, we've discussed almost four cases, and they kind of appear. The one is if the yovam is a deaf mute, or if the yovam is a deaf mute. We said that's possible. And then we said so too if the yovam is a child, or the yovama is a child, a katan or a katana. Interestingly enough, we taught the katana as a separate clause. We listed the cheresh, chareshes, and the katan, and we said they're possible. And then we taught katana is also possible. So Tosso's coming up um, on, in tomorrow's daf, he asked this, and he says, why is the katana not included? And he says, because that's not held by everyone. As we'll see the Gomorrah over there, that's maybe why Tosos is left for there, but it's, it's, it's not held by everyone. So these seem to be unanimous, and that's a discussion. So therefore it's taught as a separate clause. And then why does it emphasize that when she is... Um, you know, why does it re-emphasize by the katana and say that, yeah, if you do chalitza... She, she has to redo it when she's older, and if she doesn't, it's a chalitza absurd. Just tell me it's possible. And I'll know that then when she grows up, she has to do chalitza. So that's another question Tosos address over there. Okay, but um, the one point I wanted to just raise to show when we speak about doing chalitza, I don't know if you've noticed throughout the Masechta, we use the phrase, if he does chalitza, if he does chalitza with his yavamo. Which is interesting because Chalitza is her doing the act. She removes the shoe. But as we've even seen before, we said it's actually a question. Some hold it's a mitzvah on the man. Even though she's doing the action, the mitzvah's on him. So that you could understand that phrase as follows. Basically, his intent to sever their zikah, because if you look at the psukim, obviously it's up to both of them, but it's kind of left up to him. Does he want to perpetuate his brother's name or not? So it's his kavona to sever their Bond, that makes it the chalitza. When it comes to a cheresh, you can't say that because a cheresh is considered a deaf mute, someone who can't hear and can't speak, is considered um, not mentally competent, like kind of like a child, and therefore they can't have kavana. So it can't be him doing the chalitza, and that's why it's uh, switched around and it says, you have this deaf mute who chalitza was done on him because it's no longer. His intent. Uh, let me just. Yeah, but Tosos here raised a very interesting point, and it will become re- um, relevant again in the Gomorrah in a bit. But he says, he says, no, the reason that it's um, phrased like this is because. Uh, so let me just think. Uh,
Yeah. He says, no, why is he called the Chaylet? Because he's the one who recites the Psukim. Therefore, he's the Chaylet, the one who does the Chalitza, even though she's doing the action. So when you're referring to the action, you can actually, it, it would always be referred to as she removed, her removing the shoe. And interesting, says, why don't you, why is it not based on the Kavana, like the other Rishonim, like the first way I wanted to explain it? So it also says, because you can fill, fulfill the requirement of having a Godel Omed Al Gabov. If you have an adult standing next to this deaf mute, showing him what to do and guiding him through it, it counts as if he's done it. So therefore, according to Tosfos, you can have a cheresh. From, from that aspect, you can have a cheresh doing a chalitza. Okay, but that's just interesting because, as, as I pointed out, we normally speak about him doing the chalitza when we know it's she who does the action. And over here in our mission, it's the cheresh in it's the cheresh that the Chalitza was done too. Okay, Chalitza Bishnaim Obishloisha. The Mishnah continues and says if Chalitza was done before two, sorry, well, Chalitza Bishnaim, if the Chalitza was done before two officials, or between before three officials and one of them was found to be a, cor- a relative or invalid, Chalitza Sopsula, then it's an invalid Chalitza. It has to be done by three. Um, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yochanan Asad le Machshirin, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yochanan Asad le said, fine if you do chalitza before two officials, and Masa be'echot shecholot be'nol be'n, not be'veis asurin, and there's a case where a man did, a man and a woman did chalitza in prison, I just, alone, just the two of them, before Masa be'echot Rabbi Yekiva be'hechshir, and it came before Rabbi Yekiva, and he said it's a valid chalitza. So Rabbi Yekiva wasn't concerned that you needed an official. It seems then, according to Rabbi Yekiva, uh, this that we say you need three etc is all the best way to perform the mitzvah but it's not an essential part of the mitzvah okay the Gemara says Omar Rava hashta domad kriya loima akva now that you've told, taught me as we saw in the first line of the Mishnah if you have chalitza and spitting it's a good chalitza even if you don't have them reciting the verses well then if you have a a, a, a mute a Yovom or Yovama, then the Chalitza is still Kshaira. Um, and that's just to distinguish between a Cheresh. It gets a little bit tricky, but Cheresh often means deaf, but we generally, when you see it in the Mishnah, it's referring to a deaf mute, someone who can't hear and can't speak. Unlike an Ilaim, it's just someone who can't speak, but they can hear. And throughout Shas, a Cheresh, a deaf mute, is considered like a child or a shoite, like an insane person and not someone who's not fully me- uh, mentally competent seems, one of the reasons just could be that there was no real way to communicate with them, so they actually had no way to learn and develop and grow, so they did kind of stay like a child like a um, like a shoite, like almost like an insane person, so I'd, um, I don't know if we could necessarily change it, but then you can go into nowadays where they have ways of Interacting and teaching um, deaf mutes, but that's uh, that's that's important to be aware when we're saying cheresh. Again, not all the Rishonim learn like this, but this is more the the general way. Whenever you see cheresh, it means a deaf mute, and this is a specific reason to say it's only a deaf person. And ilaim would be someone who's just mute. So Robert wants to say that well, as long as they can. Since you don't need, it's not essential that the psukim are recited, a mute or a a deaf, a, a mute can have 
perform chalitza, have chalitza performed to them on them. It says tnan, but we learned in the Mishnah cheresh enichas chalitza shecholtsa v'chalitza esmin akotzon chalitza psula. We said that if you had a chalitza done on a cheresh or a cheresh that did chalitza or chalitza or a yavama that receives chalitza from a mana. It's invalid. It says, my timer, what's the reason? Is it not because they can't read? Why should a cheresh not be able to perform chalitza or a chereshes? Must be because they can't say the psukim. It says, no. The concern is because they're not mentally competent. Well, if that's the case, then a deaf mute should, we should also be concerned that they're not competent. Some, by the fact that they can't speak, maybe they're not fully mentally developed. He says, no, oh, my Robert, Robert says, Ilaim vilemes No, an Ilaim and an Ilim are considered fully competent. The only thing is there's something wrong um, physically that they can't speak. I, we don't view an Ilaim or an Ilemes as a love b'nai da'a. They are considered b'nai da'a. Oh, but wait. V'ha omri devei Rebi Yanai l'fi she'eno v'omar v'omra. Rebi Yanai said, what's the reason that a deaf, that they can't do chalitza? Because they don't fall under where it says, and he says, or she says. If you look in the Psukim with Chalitza, it says the, the Zakanim will summons him and they'll speak to him for Omar, and for Omar, and he will say, I don't want to take her. And in another Pasuk it says, I'm not going to do the whole um, Pasuk, and she will answer and she will say, oh, you have to have someone speaking, um, I, it's not because of an issue in Das. This that we say that the, um, that you can't have a Cheresh or a Cheresheth doing Chalitza is not a problem because of Das. And as I said, Tosfa say because there's a way around it. Have an adult, have a fully competent person standing and guiding them through the process. And there's no problem of Das. Oh, so why can't a Cheresh or Cheresheth do Chalitza or have Chalitza done to them? Because as Rabbi Yanai taught, the Pasuk says they have to be able to say. But now we're back to where we started. Well, if they have to be able to say, well, then a deaf, then an ilaim ve'ilemes, a mute person, should not be able to do chalitza. Again, once you've said the essential point, is not going to do what does. Because as we pointed out from Toysfus, you can get around that issue. The point, problem here is you need someone who's able to speak. So what does Rava mean when he said that an ilaim or ilemes can do chalitza? So he says, no, Elokit the Rava a safe itma. What Rava was Rava was actually going on the safer, a later clause. When it says that if you have a Kheresh that did Khalitza, that had Khalitza done to him, or a Khareshes, a deaf mute who performed Khalitza, or Khalitza was done by a, a um by a child, or was done, she removed the shoe off a cotton. The chalitz is invalid. Omar Rava, Rava says, Now that you've told, we see from the Sefer, that now that we see that reading, reciting the psukim is essential, the chalitz is psula. But then we have a major problem, because remember we started off the Mishnah saying, so, what, so what's Rava saying? Rava saying, 
But the fact that we see that a cheresh, cheresh, etc., can't do chalitza, we see you have to be able to speak. And that's how we learn. That's what Rabbi Yana's drosha. The pasuk says, he says, she says, I, we see they have to be able to speak. But the Mishnah started off by saying, the first line is, If she does chalitza and she spits, but they do not say the psukim, it's a valid chalitza. So how do you understand the Mishnah that's saying, chalitza is good if you don't say it, but we've just said that a cheresh or a cheresh can't do chalitza because they can't say it. So that says, now you have to come on to Rabbi Zaira, Upmanisin, um, says, I'll just read the phrase and then we'll uh, see Rashi on it and then we'll say how it fits in. Says, if something could be mixed up, then that it's not mixed up does not is not it's not essential that it's mixed. It doesn't invalidate it if it's not. If it cannot be mixed up, then the bila mixing up does um, ruin it. This is regarding the halachas by a mincha. The Gemara says that if you have a mincha that is, you can only rarely fit 60 isaron of flour with the amount of oil in the temple kalim and mix it nasty to make for a mincha offering. Remember, you make it kind of into a bread, or a matzah, it depends on the exact type of mitzvah, but you, you make it so you mix the flour and the oil, etc. So that's the mincha. And it says, you should, if you have 61, if someone's giving. 61 is Saron, then you must do 60 in one Kli and 60 in another Kli. Uh, so, sorry, and one in another Kli. 60 is Saron in one and one is Saron in the other. So you get the Saron. It says, why? Because it, you can't mix enough oil in the Temple Kalim in more than 60 is Saron. But the Gemara asks, but wait. We said elsewhere that if you don't mix it, it's still a valid Mincha. So make up your mind. Does it have to be able to be mixed and therefore I have to split it in more than one kli so that I can mix the oil properly? Or do I not have to and it's still a valid mincha even if I don't? So Rabbi Zaira explains, no. As long as theoretically you could mix it, you have the right quantities that you could mix it, if you don't mix it, it's valid. But if you could not mix it, it's the wrong quantities that you can't mix it, then it would be Valid. I'm not sure of the spora behind that, but that's Rabbi Zaira. Rabbi Zaira learns that, and he's got clear proofs to learn like that. And we take that principle and we're applying it here as well. The the Yavama, the Yavam and Yavama have to be able to say the psukim. But if they don't say the psukim, it's still a valid chalitza. But if the Yavam and Yavama are unable to say the psukim, they're a they're a deaf mute or a mute then it's an invalid chalitza. So that's the principle, that's how you would understand our Mishnah. So again, if you have two people who are able to say the psukim, and they just do the chalitza and the rakaka, it's a good chalitza without the psukim. But if you have someone who is unable to say the psukim, then it can't be a valid chalitza. Oh, what do you do? How do you get out of this? Okay, so that's a bit, that comes up later, but the, the easiest way out is to do yibum. And then, if necessary, divorce. But that's, uh, that's how she could go free. Um, Rashi at the top of the page says a very interesting thing. He says, if she is kosher, as if he's the only kosher brother, then the chalitza counts, which is a little bit difficult because um, where do it seems that no, they should the chalitza should never count and they should always have to do yivum. But let's go on to this. Uh, we'll, yeah, the, the last piece we'll start for today. He says, Sholchul Leila Avua Tishmul. They sent to Abu Adishmul the following question. Yavama Shurokin 
Tachloitz, it says that a Yavoma who spits should do Chalitza. Are they standing there in court, they're deciding what to do, what's the, should they do Yibam, you know? And then she spits at the guy. She spits at the Yavoma. So it says she should then go ahead and do Chalitza. Come back to that point. Michal the Ifsel Oloma Achin, that implies that she is now invalid from marrying any of the brothers, from doing Yibum to any of the brothers. Mani, who would be the author? Who would say if she just did, just spat at him, that's a strong enough Chalitza that now she has to go through with Chalitza. Now just before we go further, on Friday's day, remember we, we had a discussion, we said what happens if you have this Yavoma that grew up amongst the brothers and we saw her take off one of their shoes, it counts as a Chalitza that she can't then uh, marry any of the brothers. Here, we say that if... Oh, so the Gemara says what was the intent. The, the Gemara addresses that and says, look, we don't really know the intent, but since it's like... And there, I mean, we said what's the scenario is probably we said he got back from his soccer match and his ankle was swollen and she yeah. took off the shoe. Remember, that's the, that's the case we discussed. Yeah. She took off the shoe and says, okay, now she has to do Chalitza. We saw, because we don't know her intent. We did also say it's kind of like a sophic. It's not strong enough for her to go marry someone else yet. She's going to have to do a proper chalitza to go marry someone else, but she has to do chalitza. In case she has done a chalitza, it has to be a chalitza. Um, but here, this is only, if she would be walking in the marketplace next to her brother-in-law and spit at him, or spit towards him, we wouldn't count that. So Mukhe also makes an interesting distinction. He says, how often is it? It's quite rare that this Yavoma, or that a person in general, takes off someone else's shoe. They do. A wife would help her husband, etc. But it's not, not a common accident. If you see her taking off the shoe of her Yavoma, such a strong, and let's say, unusual action, even out of Bayesian, we give it seriously. But he says people spit all the time. I mean, I think it's a new thing that we... Uh, they used to, I remember hearing Rabbi Wan say, but they used to have what they called spittoons in the back of shul. You'd go to the back of the shul and you'd just spit into a bowl there. That used, everyone used to spit all the time. Yeah, so but I mean that's a different, uh, yeah, people would spit to just get the phlegm out there, mm-hmm. spit out their mouth, and it was a normal thing. So you have a woman, a woman who any time she's ever spent any time with her brother-in-laws, you could almost assume that she's done chalitza if you're going to take this spitting serious. But you don't, because it's such a common occurrence. It's, he, he uses the Nemuka, uses, uses the phrase, it's impossible that she hasn't spat in their presence. And therefore, only if it's done in Beisdin do we give it the credibility. That's why by chalitza, even if it, by the removing of the shoe, even if it's done at home, we start to get edgy and we say, no, she now has to do chalitza. But with spitting... That doesn't make us edge. It's only if it's done in Beisdin when it might be. Okay, but back to our point. They said, who's the author of this mission? That seems to imply that if they, if she just spat, she hadn't removed, remember the standard procedure, she would remove the shoe first and only then spit at him. But here she just, they were standing in Beisdin and she spat at him. We're saying that that has an effect. Who's the author? So Eli, maybe you'll say it's Rabbi Akiva, says, Hashto, Mabimokam Mitzvah. When doing chalitza, you can compare it to the emurim. What's this? I found this quite a difficult comparison. But 
<coughs> by a carbon, if they part, the aimurim have to be burnt on the mizbech, and only then the aimurim are the fats and the or the limbs that have to be burnt on the mizbech, and only then can you eat from the carbon. But what happens if they're noimurim? They got lost, they got tome, they think, so they're noimurim. Then you can eat the eat the carbon without the emurim. So again, as long as the emurim are there, you can't eat the carbon until the emurim have been burnt on the mizbah. But if the emurim are not there, then you can eat the carbon. So he says, why? So he says, this b'mokam mitzvah, I, yibum, doing chalitza when there's the shoe, we should say similar to the emurim. When the when the Aimurim are not in existence anymore, they do not prevent eating the Korban. If they do exist, then they do prevent eating the Korban. So, in that case, here, sorry, here Rabbi Akiva says that spitting does not um, invalidate the Chalitza. If Chalitza would have been done without spitting, it would not invalidate it. Even though he could spit. But he doesn't spit, it does not invalidate it. That's almost saying that even though he could burn the limbs on the korb of, of, on the Mizbah and he doesn't, it does not invalidate it. You're going to come along and say that he makes the brothers invalid. I said, I said I'm not, uh, it's a difficult comparison in my mind, but again, that's what we seem to be saying. According to Rabbi Akiva, if when doing Khalitsa, she could spit, but if she doesn't, it's not invalid. Then how much more so if she spits just out of the blue, it doesn't have any effect. Again, he wants to say that it's similar to a murim. Well, we're, yeah, we're taking it a step further than a murim, which if they are in existence, if you could burn the limbs on the mizbah, which again we're contrasting if spitting could be done, then you could not eat the korban. They're ma'akev, they're essential to being able to eat the korban, but spitting is not essential to the chalitza. Then, if they're when they're not in existence, when there's no emurim, uh, they don't have to be burnt, and you can eat the korban. Well, then here, when there's no actual chalitza, the spitting can be totally disregarded. As I said, I'm struggling a little bit with uh, the bridge between the two cases, but let's take that for granted. So, it can't be Rebbe Akiva. So the El Rebbe Elazar. So maybe we'll say it's a contrary Rebbe Elazar who says that spitting is essential. Ah. Oh, Spitting is essential, so maybe she just does spitting. That's significant enough. Again, they're standing in Beisdin, doing, going, discussing the Khalid, etc., and she spits at him. That's significant enough to say that she now can't marry any of the brothers. She says, But wait, this is where you require two things to permit. I, as we know, according to Reb Lezer, both the spitting and the shoe are essential. And if you have something that requires two actions to permit it, in, in the, um, independently they're ineffective. Right? If you just do one without the other, it's as if you've done nothing. So again, even according to Rebbe Lezer, who holds that spitting is essential, it doesn't make sense if she's just standing in Basin and she spits at him and then walks out. That doesn't count as a chalitza. She's done nothing. You need two ingredients for a chalitza to work. And she's put one, it's nothing. Oh, I've, got a good, uh, I've got a good dough, I've put the flour in the bowl. No, you still need to add water before it's anything. It's nothing without the water. It's not, I mean, in regards to dough, so to here. It says, Ella Karebi, so maybe it's like Rebbe Tanya. Rebbe says, Kivsatzeris, Ein Makishim Alechem, Ella Be regarding the lambs on Shvurs, the bread, the lechem, the two loaves of bread, only become Kodesh through the Shrita of the lambs. We'll see exactly the scenario now, but what we're saying is, 
remember on Shavuos there's two loaves of bread and you take those loaves of bread and you wave them with the two lambs then you go and offer the lambs on the Mizbech. Those loaves that they have a degree of Kedusha belonging to the temple property but they only get Kedusha's Haguf are intrinsically holy that they become invalid if you take them out of the base Amigdash they become invalid if you leave them open up they only reach that Kedusha when you offer the lambs. So that's what Rebbe so, so with that in mind, it says, If you shech them lishmo, and then you sprinkle the blood lishmo, kodesh alechem, then the bread becomes sanctified. If you shech the animal, shelolishmo, I for the sake of another korban, and you sprinkle the blood for the sake of the korban, lo kodesh. Halechem, the bread does not become sanctified. And shochton lishmo v'zol kantamim shelo lishmo kodesh v'aino kodesh divrei rebi. If you shech them lishmo and you sprinkle the blood shelo lishmo, it becomes kodesh and not kodesh divrei rebi. Rebi's opinion. What's the meaning? It becomes kodesh and not kodesh. So it becomes kodesh with. Um, so what was it? Um, Um, it becomes kodosh that if you would take it outside of the base amigdash, it would become invalid. But ain kodosh lias nitabachila that you can't eat it. So what do we see according to Rabbi Akiva? Even we have two requirements. I hear you need the shchitelishmo and the sprinkling of the blood on the mizbeachlishmo to make the bread kodosh. If you only have one ingredient, then it, it partially becomes kodosh. So you can say the same thing by chalitza. You need two ingredients. You need both the you need the two things to matter her. You need the chalitza, the removal of the shoe and the spitting. But if you have one, it does have some effect. So that would fit in. And then just to finish off the price, Rebbe Lezab Rebbe Shimon, Oymelo Elam Eino Kodesh Achi Yishkot Lishmon V'Yizrak Damen Lishmon. Rebbe Elozab Rebbe Shimon would hold no. Without having both of those factors, you've done nothing. So he says, unless you shechtet Lishmon and sprinkle the bad Lishmon, the bread does not become Kodosh. But again, we have an answer to our question. We've got to reanalyze Rabbi Akiva, but we'll ask a question on Rabbi Akiva. We'll leave that for tomorrow. But just to go back to time together. So remember, Shmuel came along and says, if you, they're standing in Basil and the Yovomo spits at the brother, at the Yovom, she has to do Chalitza. We said, who can that? That can't be Rabbi Akiva, because Rabbi Akiva doesn't care about the, the, the spitting independently is nothing. It's totally insignificant. Even if you're doing a proper chalitza and you don't spit, it doesn't matter. So obviously if you're not doing chalitza and she spits, it, it doesn't matter. That's Rabbi Akiva. So it can't be Rabbi Akiva. This, again, this opinion that holds if she spits, again, not in the context of removing the shoe and then spitting at him, um, that she still has to do a proper chalitza, a removal of the shoe, etc. Um, can't be Rabbi Akiva. So he said maybe it's Rabbi Lezer. There's no. According to Rabbi Lezer, you would need both factors of spitting and chalitza to have any effect. If you have only one of those, it's as if you've done absolutely nothing. So it also can't be Rabbi Kiva. So you say, no, it's actually Rabbi, because we see Rabbi holds that if something requires two procedures and you only do one of them, it does have an effect. So, so this would have an effect that you would become also to any of the brothers, because she's kind of done chalitza. She would have to do a proper chalitza. To, to, but she would, uh, she's not free yet. She'd have to do a proper chalitza. Okay, we'll leave it there for today. Just a question.